0: You're listening to episode 216, Crowdfunding, Entrepreneurship, and Travel with Dan Dembski.
1: And I remember laying on my pillow with my eyes wide open, and I'm just like, this is the idea. I want this product to exist. It doesn't exist the way I want it to, and I've seen this before. I have friends who've started successful e-commerce businesses. It was always because they thought they could do something better or something that is not being done, hmm. and that's my that's my calling. That's this is my sign. And if wow. I don't do this, then then I'll hate myself.
0: This is the dance of life. My name is Tutor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander and I will be your host today. Success is often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. Such a great quote by Coco Chanel. The power of your mind is the only limiting factor. You know, we talked about last, we talked about that last week with Nathaniel and persevering and failure, you know, failure is bound to happen, but if you focus on it rather than what you learn from it, You're always going to avoid success, no matter how many resources, how much money, how much knowledge, how much instruction you throw at the situation. If you aren't resourceful with your failures, which there's going to be many, then progress will be very slow. Today, my inspiring guest is Dan Dembski. He's the co-founder of Unbound Merino. It's a a company that sources natural and really high-performance fibers, Australian Merino Wool to create apparel that can be worn for weeks or even months without ever needing to be washed. Pretty exciting. Dan started this company alongside his two best friends with the goal of minimizing the burdens of travel so that you can maximize the experience of your trip. Dan loves to travel, and so this was kind of a business project that was inspired from his own life with his friends, and he had previously founded a digital media agency and another clothing business prior to Unbound Merino. So we're going to sit down with Dan and see how he has started Unbound Merino using crowdfunding and how he was able to leverage it to a multi-million dollar business in a couple of years. It was pretty amazing. If you want to follow Dan or you want to get more information, just go to unboundmerino.com. Check out what they have. They have some pretty great t-shirts actually. So in this episode, guys, like I said, we're going to talk about how to start a business. What does it take to start a business? What does it take to scale a business? Dan has been pretty successful with his business, I would say, and we're going to pick his brain and see what what steps did he take? What was his mindset behind our entrepreneurship? How did he handle the many failures along the way and that kind of thing? What was it like to have a business with his friends? If you've ever thought about having a business with your friends... Uh, or a friend or maybe somebody who you're with a life partner that type of thing this will be a good episode for you because there's many considerations when it comes to partnership you know that doesn't mean uh, that it's always a good thing it doesn't mean it's always a bad thing either so maybe something you'll learn today may impact your perspective on that so if you like this kind of stuff make sure you share it with your friends anybody who needs to hear this message about business today and, and taking it to the next level Be some great stuff in this conversation, so I'm excited to jump into it with you guys. Here we go crowdfunding, entrepreneurship, and travel with Dan Demsky in uh, Arizona, in Phoenix. So actually it's been cold recently, but
1: I'm sure it's not cold.
0: Yeah. I mean, compared to what you guys have to deal with, it's not, yeah, over.
1: it's probably a lot colder here.
0: <laughs> well, we, you know, we get usually like October right now, it's about 80 something degrees, but now it's been like 50 at night. So that's, that's a scary number for us over here. <laughs> yeah. I don't
1: even know what that means. Cause I think it's Celsius.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, pff, I don't even know, maybe like 30, well, 32 is no. Zero is hot. freezing, right? In Celsius. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably like what twenty degrees or sixteen degrees or something. So. Yeah. But it's nice. Can't complain. I love living in Phoenix. It's there's no natural disasters. There's no craziness other yeah. than the heat. Other Has COVID. You know, I, I don't know what side of the street you're on. It doesn't. We don't have to talk about it. But I mean, uh, I don't. I, I I don't really believe in it. I honestly. I mean, I know it's a disease. Obviously, it's running around. But the hysteria is just overwhelming it's insane right? i mean yeah i agree in I'd this agree state luckily we aren't as crazy as some of these other states that have been where like california is just off the deep end man they're just going bonkers with they had i think they have actual proclamation for thanksgiving where i could be wrong about this but from what i read somewhere it was like you can't have more than 6 people at your thanksgiving dinner or something like that but you can have yeah. 30 <laughs> at a funeral <laughs> so it's just what are we in like in third grade? So I don't know. It's, it's been crazy. They, they've been, I feel like,
1: I feel like it's taken too seriously by the people who take it seriously and not seriously enough by the people who don't take it seriously.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, and the thing is you could say that about everything though. Like, you know, it's, it's all perspective because the flu, same thing kills a lot of people. Obesity kills a lot of people. There's so many things that kill a lot of people every year. Obesity is not taken seriously enough. It's not taken seriously. I mean, you look at, you know, I used to tutor kids and, this was a while ago, but it's the same thing. And I was That's I remember... amazing
1: for considering what your name is.
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like a perfect name. <laughs> don't even get me started. Yeah. I mean, that was like the joke of the playground. Yeah. But pretty yeah. much, um, I know I will never forget this little girl. She would come into to tutor time, you know, after whatever, three thirty with a bag full of like these sugar noodles or whatever the hell they were. I don't even know what they were, but they were just not food, but they're just sugar. And, you know, she weighs probably what? I don't know, 50 pounds, 60 pounds or something. And she's just eating these things away, which to a normal human being who weighs, you know, anywhere 150 to 200 pounds, that's a huge glycemic impact. And you have these little kids that are just eating this kind of crap. And it's like, that's a problem. That's yeah. a bigger problem to me than COVID is. But we don't froth at the mouth at the media the same way. So, yeah. I don't know. Yep. It's It's, it's crazy. all going to be. I think it's all going to be yesterday's news in a couple months. We're going to forget about it and it's going to be back to normal. So I'm excited. Oh, I, think I, next year's, so. I think next year is going to be great. It's going to be so. a lot of opportunity. So. Everybody's put the shit behind them.
1: So. I just want to come back into the States and travel. I have so many friends there that I'd love to visit. It's getting cold here. I'm usually gone once it gets cold for a little while. Were you born in the States? No, I'm born here, but I You're just have lots Canada. of friends in the States. Yeah. Um, but I'm usually out, I try to get out of here when it gets cold for at least a little bit.
0: What's uh what's a place that's on your like bucket list in America that you want to visit
1: in America. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to fly into somewhere in Texas and just rent a car and then just go on a huge barbecue road, Yeah. <laughs> like just go everywhere into Tennessee and around Texas and but I, I've did, I did a bit of barbecue in Austin, but I haven't been to Memphis, and I want to go to all the little towns on the way.
0: That's yeah, a like little a country meeting. country yeah. music bars and stuff. That'd be fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but I've been around in the States. I've been around, but that's, that's a trip I haven't done.
0: It's crazy how much there is to see in the world. You know, I had a, I had a client one time that was uh, like a huge aficionado for cruises. and I mean, I went on a cruise. I couldn't stand it. But, you know, some people really like it, certainly. And the uh, obese people. <laughs> well these people like it i guess you know there's you can eat whatever you want and, yeah you anytime, just lay there you and
1: get, you just get hauled around like a like on yeah, a freightliner I mean,
0: and eat. i just can't you know this is, i can't yeah. i just can't, i've never done a cruise around.
1: i've never done a cruise but i want to do one one she I, think had I, gone... I want to see the boat i'm very fascinated by the, <laughs> the magnitude of what that boat could be like
0: i mean there's sizes of boats but the the one that this gal went on she went on for six months dude and it was like 50 different ports around the world. She spent like 150 grand just going, you know, just to see different ports, you know? And I'm just like, God, like I would just want to die doing that. Like, I mean, I like traveling for sure, but yeah, I don't know. There's something that's about... not
1: seeing, that's not seeing the world. That's seeing ports.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: It's seeing souvenir stands. <laughs>
0: And then you gotta wait every time you get off the boat, you know, and you you wait for like two hours before everybody is off the boat and you come back on, and so on. It's just such a waste of time to me, yeah, but hey, some people like it, you know if if that's you, if you're listening, then more power to you that's what the Oh, have we already about. started, yeah, oh we're we're, we're jumping into it, <laughs> oh, there
1: we go. I thought we were just you know shooting the shit ahead of time, hey, there you go. know
0: this whole this whole thing is shooting the shit to me, man this yeah, is exactly yeah, that's what it's about, good, well. I guess we could jump into it. So look, you have a pretty impressive resume. I mean, I love the the story about your company, how you pretty much started it in like two months. You guys raised almost 400K and then now you guys are doing quite a few in sales after just a couple of years. So were you always an entrepreneur? Was that your thing or this was kind of just the serendipity that happened?
1: I think so. Well, it's a bit of both. I think being an entrepreneur is my, it's my DNA i yeah you know i remember when i was a kid i, I used to say i want to be a businessman but you know which is like
0: were you the kids sound that glamorous to me you looking the back
1: <laughs> yeah i just had like the iced tea stand i remember and i used to buy sports cards and flip them and i was always just trying to find ways to make a buck yeah. it was just sort of like in my blood you know when it, it gets snowy here so when when it snowed, I was up early and I was knocking on doors and shoveling driveways, you know, for 20 bucks a driveway. And I always had that in me. Um, but I, I didn't think that I wanted to become an entrepreneur as I got older. I never really thought much about it. it so I sort of fell into it in a serendipitous way. I started mm. doing video production freelance projects with my best friend. Just because we were trying to make, you know, same thing I was doing, shoveling snow. We we had a camera, so we we're like we could do some shooting, find some jobs on Craigslist, make two hundred bucks, make three hundred bucks, and we just were really like doing it. So we got busy, and people started. Look, there was word of mouth. said, if you need guys to shoot and edit, these guys do it, and we did it for cheap. And then we started getting so busy doing this video stuff as a little side project that I I I didn't have time to do it. I'm like I I I'm in school. I work at a radio station. That's where I thought I was going to go in my career into radio. Uh, I work at a restaurant and I'm doing this video stuff and something has to go. So the first thing that went was school. I'm like, mm, get nice. school. Like it seemed like it was like the biggest waste of time to me. Yeah. Um, especially because I was studying communications and radio broadcasting and I already had my foot in the door in a radio station. So I'm like, what do I need to school for? Um, but then it just got busier and busier. And then our clients started to become from small to medium businesses. And then it became corporations and we ended up getting Fujifilm and MasterCard and Coca-Cola as a client. We had to create a company and incorporate because we needed to start invoicing real brands. That's the only reason we became. So we became a real company. It was, it just happened. And then I left radio, I left the restaurant and it became, and we grew that company really, really fast. And all of a sudden I had it, you know, I was, I was living in my mom's basement. I was like, 22, and I started this thing, and and then within two years, I had I had this big downtown studio, and we had 20 employees, and it happened really fast. So I had to learn a lot of lessons in the fast lane, some in the hard way. Made a yeah. lot of colossal mistakes in the process, but it's sort of out of nowhere. I was like, wow, I'm a I'm an entrepreneur. It just happened.
0: So you were about 24. Or so when uh, this business was kind of taken off, when it had gotten to that point,
1: yeah, in my mid 20s, I was yeah, it was. It was it grew pretty fast and and we were we were early in the game for doing video production that was focused on online video because mm-hmm. a lot at the time back then a lot of the people that there was kind of two sort of styles of shop you had the the big film studios that did big commercial work or television and film work and those were big like big productions and then there was corporate videos which was usually just some like guy with a big belly and a big camera and he does I do. Bar mitzvahs, weddings, corporate videos, stuff like that, right? So there was not a lot in between. And we were, you know, young and in tune with what was happening with YouTube and how online video content is really going to start to consume a lot more uh, of people's time in a really big way. So we talked a lot about this and that was sort of our competitive edge is that we were thinking a little different and focused more on what was the, the strategy and the thinking behind having effective video for the modern internet. And that was our way in, and it grew really fast. And we loved doing it; it was a wild ride. But after a few years, it, we, running the business became less fun for me. So I felt like I was sort of a—I had to be in boardrooms all the time, you know, pitching brands, getting new clients because we had a big staff. And I would just—it it the the soul was sucked out of me after a while. But mm. the, the rise of the rise to where we got was really, really fun and exciting. But I think at that point. I realized I, you know, well, you can start something and it can get pretty big, and I felt confident that I, I could do other things. So I was looking to do something else. That's sort of the short version of how I started thinking about what's next and what was next was a few projects that led to Unbound Marino, which is what I do now.
0: That's awesome, man. Well you said, you mentioned a couple of sharp life lessons. You know, in that in that short period of time, was there one in particular you can think of right now that really? stuck in your mind
1: well you know you when you start to have a, a staff and you have a big down we had a, we, we were growing so fast at the beginning that we thought well let's just keep high Let's just higher and higher and higher because yeah. whatever if we're growing this fast we're going to continue to grow you know we just had this this confidence in our ability to continue to grow so our revenue when we started was like really small then it was like boom and we shot right up and then after a few years, it sort of flatlined. And it was, we had a, we were a decent sized business, but we weren't growing in the same rate that we were before, but we had all of these mouths to feed and, you know, being young and dumb, we, instead of, you know, getting a modest little space, we got this big top yeah. or bad <laughs> designer. Space. Yeah, we had the top floor of the building right downtown Toronto, overlooking the sky. It was just awesome, right? And I was, it felt cool at first. But then after you start to realize how expensive it is to run this business, you start you stop thinking of it as cool. You start thinking of it like I hate this place. Why did I Yeah. But so we're in boardrooms, we're closing deals, and and I just had to be selling all the time. And that's when it got less glamorous. It's like I if I would have if I could go back and do it again, what I would have done is I would have grown a lot slower, but still have had that momentum of the 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 contracts. That we were getting because we're getting these big deals you know we were starting with my mom's basement a few years before we were doing things for two three hundred bucks but then it would get to closing six-figure deals wow but it didn't feel exciting I was happier when I was closing a like, wow I sold something for a thousand bucks back in my mom's basement that was like a lot of money because there was no overhead and my mom was making mm. three hot meals a day for us you know so it was just all money right we could put right back into new equipment and into the business and when we were you know, at that bigger stage, we had all these mouths to feed in this big downtown studio. It just didn't matter. The money comes in one end and it burns out the other. So yeah. I would have just, I would have made the the infrastructure of the company a lot leaner. And if that if we did that, we would have just been so incredibly profitable. We could have invested that in better talent. We would have just would have taken things slower and more methodical. Yeah. These are lessons that I carried into my new company. That when we started growing and Unfortunate enough that this company started with crowdfunding. And then after that, we had momentum right out the gate. We started selling in countries all over the world. And we had this similar speed of growth. But instead of being full of ourselves, they, well, we're going to continue to grow. And we're going to be, we're going to, it doesn't matter. We can just continue to hire and spend money like idiots. We took things really slow. And the, and the difference is we started, we do our own fulfillment. We rented a little storage locker downtown Toronto like a little no windows and we were in this cold storage lot and we filled our orders out of there. And when we were bursting out of the seams because we had too many I, uh, too many new products that didn't even fit in the storage locker, we moved into a slightly bigger storage locker. And then when we outgrew that we had two storage lockers. and it wasn't about a, until about a year and a half into the business, we got finally got a, a warehouse space which is a little bit more suitable for our needs. But we were, it was so easily affordable at the time. So we did things the way that I'm talking about. We've learned mm-hmm. from our first mistakes, applied it differently, and didn't care so much about being showy and having this big, beautiful space and feeling like, look how great we are. We were more concerned with running a really, really tight business model. And then, you know, you grow for years. And it's funny. We had the same sort of trajectory in the same sort of time. So after three years, we were growing like, boom. And then this thing happened again. This time it happened because of COVID. When Because our products, we sell apparel. It's uh, merino wool t-shirts, sweatshirts, underwear, socks. It's antibacterial. It's odor resistant. So yeah. the positioning that we had for our brand is pack less, experience more. Because you can wear this t-shirt many days in a row, even if you sweat in it, it will never smell. And it's antibacterial. The whole premise is when you go traveling, you can pack less t-shirts. You can have yeah. less stuff. And you That's can- crazy. Yeah. So it's like it's like a carry-on travel only So, we were kind of positioned as a travel product. And then, one thing we didn't anticipate is the entire travel industry (laughs) grinding to a halt. So, everything that we worked so hard to build in terms of our positioning grinded to a halt. Wow, that's crazy. So, our sales went down. We were growing insane, like month over month over month. Um, And then, for the first time ever, our sales completely went down. And we were like, got really, really scared. We had to think of how do we reposition our brand either permanently or temporarily yeah, when, uh, to not be a travel brand. Cause none of those, that messaging works for, you know, advertising and for our website. So we did this whole overhaul grinded to get our sales back up. And we did, our sales are up again. We're not growing at the same rate as we once were, it's, but we're growing a little bit, but we're so much smarter as a company and because we, didn't put ourselves in the same position that i did in my first business because we were very uh, running lean and we were more frugal and we we're smarter and wiser with how we spend our money it's like even with the the downturn in sales it's like there's it no problem we were weathering yeah. the storm and everything about our company is is um designed to be lean and smart. And we try to just build, it. we're trying to build a good business model that makes sense and that's sustainable. And uh yeah, it's been good because when we saw it, when we really did get slaughtered with COVID, we were able to roll up our sleeves and weather the storm and we're still here. So
0: what'd you guys do? I'm curious, as far as like the positioning, like how, did what did you decide on, you know, as far as how to present yourself in this? Well, we decided to do the travel thing, not because we thought people are only going
1: to wear our clothing for travel, but we mm-hmm. thought, why don't we slice out a little niche for us? Because then we could really hone in on the marketing message. Yeah. And that's sort of the, our way in to customers. But when they buy our clothing, they'll realize the benefits are a lot more than just travel. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people it's um, it's more environmental. It's a, a, na- a complete natural fiber. So it's biodegradable. So in the production of it, it's, it's, um, it's quite green. There's not like any harsh chemicals made which would cause a lot of pollution. And then the, the shirt itself is biodegradable. So it doesn't sit in a landfill for generations. Nice. So some people it, it it's an environmental reason also because you don't need to wash it as like off, you don't it's kind of think of it like jeans. Like when you wear a pair of jeans, you don't wash it after every use. You kind of put it back in your shelf and you'll happily wear it again. You'll wash your jeans if you got them dirty or when you feel that eh, it's about time I wash the yeah. jeans. Um, it's the same thing with the shirts. So you're running your laundry machine less. So you're consuming less energy there too. Um, a lot of people, they buy our shirts, uh, because they're just like simple, minimal unbranded. So it's sort of a minimalist thing. Like there are people who buy just our black t-shirt and they buy 10 at a time. And yeah, they have, I love
0: unbranded all, stuff. <laughs> they
1: have all they have in their closet is our black t-shirt or something. Yeah. And they'll wear that every single day and they'll wear the same one every day or they'll put a different one on, but it's the same black t-shirt. So there's a lot of people that have that sort of minimalist approach. So we started taking all of these little things about our brand and focusing on all of those. So we've broadened a little bit in what our messaging is. And when we just started trying to bring new products into the fold, just to keep things exciting. So the biggest focus that we had through all of this was, you know, we built up a pretty big customer base. Um, let's just focus on our customer base instead of really trying as hard to drive new customers. Let's focus on new products for our current customers, rely on word of mouth a little bit more things like that.
0: How did you, um, I guess have what, do, or what do you think are some of the things that contributed to your guys really rapid success. I mean, clothing company, there's a lot involved, a lot of wheels involved in, in creating a, especially a high quality clothing product uh, like, like you guys have with so many different features. How or what did you do or what do you think was some of the components that made you guys especially successful in a couple of years? I mean, you, you guys scaled pretty, pretty high as far as I'm concerned. So what made it for you? I think it
1: had to do with the timing of when we launched. I, Mm. I told you a little bit about my backstory with my video business that I had before. Yeah. And I really wanted out. I was really unhappy doing what I was doing, even though sometimes people would come to me and be like, congrats, you know, they say like, they look at me as if I was successful. I didn't feel successful because mm-hmm. one, I wasn't even paying myself much money because this business was just like a, a cash burn. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a decent sized business. It was just like, it just took everything out of me. So I, I for, I, for years was looking for something else. And all I knew was that I wanted a product instead of a service to sell. And I wanted to sell that product online. And I would meet with my my friends about once every couple of weeks. We'd get beers or we'd do it over lunch or something. And we'd just come up with ideas of things that we could sell. What would be a good idea? And I think because we focused our energy on finding something to sell, I was open to like, I was receptive to when that idea would come. But mm. it didn't, it wasn't quick. We probably did this for a year to two years wow. and I wasn't in a rush to do it. it was just like, I'm just trying to think of something. And in the process, we did a couple other things. I tried to launching a sock brand, never really got that off the ground much. We did a little bit of traction here in Toronto, but it started to be like wholesale and that was kind of not what I wanted to do. I was really wanted to sell things online. And the reason I wanted to sell online is because I was looking for a really, really lean business model, a direct consumer is more yeah. profitable. Everything that I've learned from my other business, I was trying to do the opposite <laughs> of, right? So I went traveling and I started to feel like I don't want to pack. I don't want to check luggage anymore. I just want to travel with just a carry on. And I remember going overseas, I was going to uh, Thailand and I started Googling how do you, to travel um, with overseas with just a carry on. And I came across a Reddit post where someone was saying they use Merino wool t-shirts. Because they're antibacterial and they're odor resistant uh, and he can bring two t-shirts and he doesn't care if he's gone for six months, you know, if he can't get to a laundry machine for a month, it doesn't matter. He can wear the same shirts. They never smell. So I thought, okay, this is the, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So I started looking for Marina wool t-shirts and kind of did my disappointment. Everything I found was, I mean, I, I found shirts and I bought them and they performed as promised. The problem with them was they're all made, they're all these activewear brands or outdoors kind of brands. So they looked like that. So you can you see that I'm just wearing a plain, you know, <laughs> super tight deep, shirt. <laughs> not super tight. It's just like a nice fit. It's a, oh, shoe, that
0: one. Oh, gotcha. Yay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The the, you know, the other ones were like base layers. They were either yeah, the active either, layer ones. Whatever. Yeah. They're yeah. either layers, like, yeah, they were like super tight or they were, um or they had like reflective logos on them or they looked yeah. like something you'd go running in. So I remember seeing myself in a picture at a cocktail bar in a beautiful cocktail bar. And I was wearing the shirt and I'm like, it, you can just see, like, I kind of, and I remember feeling underdressed. <laughs> like I could wear a t-shirt like you're wearing right now, put on a watch and a pair of pants and feel like I don't go anywhere. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's fine. It's a black t-shirt, but I looked like I should have maybe been going out for a run or I should have been holding a canoe over. My right. Shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, why is it so hard to find Nicely fitting, basic, nice shirts yeah. with this miracle fabric. And then I thought, boom, that's it. That's the idea. That's the idea that I have. So I, I thought I gotta do this. And I went to my friends and said, Here, I do you ever hear merino wool? And they thought, isn't that itchy? They're like, no, it's not itchy. It's like a different kind of wool. It, it feels like softer than cotton, but it I, I've traveled with it and all this stuff. And I had my sock business going at the time. I had my video business going at the time. And I remember going to a business coach friend of mine and I gave him, told him this whole idea. And he said, Dan, I get it. It's brilliant. I love this idea. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, but you're not the guy to do this. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're too busy. You're trying to run your video business, you know, and you have this fledgling little sock startup company you're trying to start. You're already spread too thin. You're not doing either of them that well. And you're gonna to try to add a third thing it. And it. And he was right. Like I just didn't have the energy. I didn't have the money to start this thing. I didn't know how to anything about making clothing. But I remember going to sleep that night and I am not someone who's a problem sleeper. I can get to bed. If I can hang up on the Zoom call and go lay up, I can nap in five minutes. Even I'm not even tired. That's a
0: special talent, man. I wish I yeah. had that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can sleep. I can sleep. And I remember laying on my pillow with my eyes wide open and I'm just like, this is the idea. I want this product to exist. It doesn't exist the way I want it to. And I've seen this before. I have friends who started successful e-commerce businesses. It was always because they thought they could do something better or something that is not being done. Hmm. And that's my, that's my calling. That's, this is my sign. And if I don't do this, then, then I'll hate myself. So I thought, okay well how do I how do I do it then because I don't have the money to put into this. I don't have energy or time. I have to do all this other stuff. So crowdfunding was like this aha uh-huh. like, yes, that's the answer because I can meet up with my buddies, we, you know, we can do it once a week and we can piece together this crowdfunding campaign and it might take us three months. It might take us a year. Or it might take us more than that. And it did. It took us a year and a half to do all of the things with this crowdfunding campaign together, working just on Friday nights. And we pieced it together. And I thought, if it doesn't work, I don't care because one, I'll have tried and, and the market, I can't decide if the market is ready, wants this thing or not. The market decides for itself. And and two worst case scenario is I'll have made a bunch of prototypes and I'll have made the shirts I wanted anyway. Yeah, I just wanted the shirts. Win win either way. Yeah, but I really believed it could work because I believed that we were positioning something in a way it wasn't being done, and it was we we're creating a use for it that people weren't seeing yet. Hmm. So we did the campaign. It was very easy to come up with the, the positioning because it was exactly the thing that we I wanted to exist. We worked our ass off on it. And we launched and we tried to do $30,000 of pre-sales. That was what our funding goal was. And we did almost 400,000. So we had a company. So I walked away from my other businesses. I just gave them to my business partners, walked away, was not taking a salary, put all the money into inventory and just started working my ass off to get this thing off the ground. And, and, you know, it's now, we're now in our fourth year and we're selling in over a hundred countries. And I'm, Doing, the th- I'm doing the thing I feel like I was meant to be doing. I'm having the time of my life.
0: That's amazing, man. Thank Such you. a great story. I mean, I've never done crowdfunding before. Is there, are there anything, like if somebody's never done it before, what would you say are some some good pointers to, to keep in mind?
1: I would say the two things, one, from a positioning standpoint, you have to make it all about talking about how whatever product it is that you're selling is a benefit to that person. Mm-hmm. I, If you, when we were creating the campaign, we we're doing the video I was writing the script for the, video, all that stuff. It dawned on me that what we're making is a millennial version of an infomercial. <laughs> this is infomercials. Yeah, that is all, pretty much.
0: Yeah, that's true. I
1: looked at the successful campaigns. I'm like, these are all just different kinds. Of, it's like everything f- has the tone of an infomercial. And that's what infomercials yeah. are. It's like, benefit benefit benefits to you and you won't pay that you'll pay this right (laughs) it's almost cheesy
0: yeah and
1: and crowdfunding campaigns are a bit cheesy but the most important thing to consider when making a campaign is you can't rely on the platform itself to make you successful you have to manufacture your own momentum at the beginning Mm. so getting all your friends and family to support it in the first few hours um Anything you can do because those first few hours matter so much to become a new and hot campaign. And mm. in a new and hot campaign, you can trend. You want to trend on the platform. You have to stand out. So uh, we worked for a month getting everyone that anyone I could, mm. within reason, ask them to go spend 40, 50 bucks. You know, like someone I haven't spoken to in high school. I'm like, eh, well, he made the cut. Worth a try. Him.
0: You're in my yearbook.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, that is the key. I remember in that first first few hours, every single order that came in was someone whose name I recognized. Wow! And then after the, an hour and a half, two hours, it started to be like, "Who's Johannes in Berlin?" Mm. I don't know a Johannes in Berlin. And then you started to see like someone in Japan, someone in in UK, someone in the states, someone in Canada, like just like it, it, because we we had this campaign that appeared successful and for other people to start backing it they need to feel like they're backing a winner
0: yeah you
1: know if you were to find a crowdfunding campaign and you were to see that they were trying to raise thirty thousand dollars and they've already raised a hundred thousand and it's only been two days you might think, "Wow, well, this is pretty cool. I want to buy this product." You know, yeah, but it's like if,
0: social proof, pretty much.
1: Yeah, but if it was if it was only sold like two thousand dollars, and they're trying to raise thirty, and it's been mm. two weeks, you'd be like, "This is a loser. No one wants." Them. So people are seeing something in this that maybe I'm not seeing. So in either way, in a positive way or a negative way, so that's that's a very important thing for swaying consumer behavior. I would say the most important most important thing to consider is that manufacture the momentum at beginning of the campaign you need to make sure it works without fail
0: did you advertise like did you guys do facebook ads or anything
1: like that once we were trending once we got off the ground um we we looked at it it was almost like riding a wave the wave was trending on the platform indigo yeah so we started pumping ads into the campaign because We learned what made you trend, and has a a bit to do with the traffic, the amount of people that are on it they are watching your video. It's a bit to do with the sales, so we were paying for ads to stay trending on the platform. Ah, gotcha. Help, so so it was driving people into the campaign. Some of them would buy, so it was also to drive sales, but it was also just to
0: keep uh, the momentum. Interesting. And I mean, with the with the crowdfunding, do you guys have like you said, you had to start with thirty thousand. basically your goal was 30,000. So does that mean that you have to have that inventory lying around? Or do you basically tell people like, Hey, take, here's 50 bucks for your first two shirts or shirt, whatever. And then we'll ship it to you, you know, in three months or something like that. Yeah,
1: That one it's, it's, it, you set up that, that's just what what's so good about crowdfunding is you don't need to have any inventory. You need to have to prove to them that you can go and make it after. So you say, once we're funded, You know, we're then going to go into the production phase, and then it was going to be delivery. Then it's going to be fulfillment. So people will pay you, and then you don't ship to them for you can say six months, you can say a year. You establish whatever that is, but that's the expectation. And what's great about that is one, you don't have to front any money, so there's no risk. And two, you also get a feel for what this what sizes. Like I, I wouldn't know what should I get. How many medium shirts? How many extra Mm -hmm. large? How many double extra large? Right we get a feel for our customers and what their, the size ratios would be from small to double XL. And we can model our, our, all of our sizing ratios on that. So we ordered the right inventory plus more in the right ratio because we got all that information in advance. We put in, I think it was, I'm forgetting the, it's it's slipping me, but I think we put in less than $3,000 of our own money to start, The entire business, which is unheard of to start a clothing brand, like over the course of a year and a half, all we paid for was some sampling fees, you know, buying some clothing from stores to, to sort of model our fits after like very minimal. I mean, we did our, have you, we, because we came from a video background, we were able to do our own video product, video and our own photos and all that stuff. Yeah, Yeah. So we had a little bit of an advantage there, but you know, starting a business for under $3,000 is insane.
0: That's crazy, man. That's that's so wild. It's just so interesting to me how we're kind of in this age where, especially with crowdfunding, like I mean, you see it everywhere. Like somebody can just start it, an idea, and then the whole world kind of pitches in, and then all that energy swells in one little, uh, you know, location. I mean, it's just wild to think that you can do that now. You know, I, using- I swear if if I could do it, anyone can. Because I'm not some like child. I'm just I swear I'm like
1: I'm like I always say this to people like if they're like oh I got to start my own thing, we'll, we'll do it. Like, I swear, if I could do it, you could freaking do it. Like, I didn't even get into university.
0: Hey, well, you know what they say? Most, uh, what, successful people don't even have a college degree, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: I'd say you could be successful with one, too. Yeah, for know. sure.
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: I just think it's, it's just, it's not always necessary.
0: Well, do you think, I mean, with, with college, kind of just a tangent, but, you know, why not ask you about it? Like, what do you think about the future of College and business and entrepreneurship, I feel like it's just becoming such an obsolete thing and people are more apt to either pursue things through crowdfunding, you know, or or basically do like these little technical engagements, like a year of training in this and now they're, you know, a social media guru or something, you know, so I just don't see college really the traditional model working in the next.
1: I think it can. I think everyone's journey is different. I just Mm -hmm. don't think it's, uh, it's like you used to need it. And yeah. I think that's ridiculous to even think, like, I I don't know what you, in fact, I think all it does is it eats up some of your time. Yeah. But one of the the advantages, I think it does teach you a certain level of critical thinking and discipline that is healthy, but I don't think you need college for that. The one, I mean, if you get into Harvard, you know, yet, I mean, I can go do a Harvard education online for free. Right. And that's cool. But That's not the value of going to Harvard. I mean, if you get into a school like that, the the value of going to Harvard is who you're around. So yeah, that's the thing. It's everyone's journey is different. If you go to school and then that's what sets you onto the path in which leads you to meeting the person or 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 opening that door that could be like the door to open for your life. Then that, that it's all on an individual basis. I mean. My original business partner is my best friend. He was in film school, and that's why we had a camera, and that's why we were shooting, and that's why we started our company. So, if he didn't go to film school, then we wouldn't have started our business. But that had mm. nothing to do that he opened that door by going to school. So you never know what's what's in or around the corner. There
0: was it? Uh, is it the same friends that you're partners with in this company that you were in the previous company? Or So.
1: So we're all best friends. So I I started the first company with one of my best friends, and I started this one with my other two best friends. So my original one, he's still running the original business. Gotcha. We're all best friends, and yeah, it works great. People say business and friendship don't mix, and and I think it mixes really well. Hmm. We have the time of our life. I love working with my best friends. I get to work with my best friends.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because. A lot, you know, there is that opinion out there in the sense of like, okay, you know, you shouldn't mix uh business with people that you know, right? And and so, I mean, what's the, what's your take on that? Because some people may think, well, you know, being in business with somebody you're with, or let's say with your friends or family, whatever, they're, you know, it's just easy to sort of take advantage of each other or whatever else, or you know, well, not be accountable. Yeah. I guess I don't know.
1: That, so you touched on the two things that you just said in passing. If it, if if taking advantage of your friends is something that you have in your DNA, then you're a bad friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if some if your best friend is taking advantage of you, you pick bad friends.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but being accountable is, serious. So you have to if you're going to be successful in any business, you're going to be accountable to somebody. Your business partners, your customers, your stakeholders, investors—whatever it is—that's the structure of your business. You're going to be accountable to somebody. Um, what it works so well with being in business with your, with my best friends, is that we're very candid with each other, almost mm-hmm. to a point of it's like crazy. Like, like my my business partner I have no problem calling me an asshole, <laughs> you know, if I'm not doing, if I'm not pulling my weight. Yeah. Um, but it's not out of being, it's not cause he's a jerk or anything. It's, it's because we expect a lot of each other and we hope we do want to see each other win and do well. We all want to win yeah. for our own selfish reasons. And for selfless reasons, um, we hold each other accountable in the most pure and genuine of ways. Um, when they're mad at me, it's because I'm not pulling my weight. And that happens, happens sometimes, but I don't want to be a disappointment to them. I want to, so there's some, there's, there's, there's times when it's even competitive of who could be. Be better at their
0: role, I guess. Especially
1: in my old business, when we started that up, it was, we, we were younger and had like a way more energy. That was before, like, you know, I don't have kids, but they, you know, my business partners have kids. Um, For we grew, before we grew up a bit, um, we were like fiercely competitive with each other. Like who could work harder? I'm like, I don't care. You're going out? You're going out for beers? Well, I'm gonna work.
0: Yeah. Right. So and it was <laughs> it was
1: it was fun. Um, but we're very, very open and honest with each other, we're candid with each other. And even if it were candid to a place where it might sound a little bit mean, we know it's not mean. There's no mean spirit in it. It's it's because we're comfortable. Being completely candid, there's no politics. Yeah. You know, There's no, there's no holding something in out of fear of offending. They'll say what they're thinking in the moment. Boom, harshly, and that's. A, I think it doesn't work with. You can't be like that with people that you work with in a in a corporate setting too easily, mm. because it could be misconstrued. It could be hurtful. You don't know them well enough. Um, we we don't have to be careful with each other, and there's a there is a, a great advantage to that.
0: I had some friends that, uh, I mean, I'm still, we're still good friends. One of them I've known since we're first grade. One of them we've known since we're like freshmen in high school. And they started a business initially collecting razors, like antique razors, just for fun. They would drive all over the country and get these razors. And now- Like shaving razors? Yeah. Like like guys shaving razors. And now, I mean, many years later, it evolved into two businesses. They each have their own business and they're both like super successful with it. So one of them selling these, uh, you know, revamped like old school razors and straight straight blades, uh, straight razors. And another one's doing like leather products. And anyway, it's just funny how it evolved from just this like funny little hobby, but they were in business together initially and then they split up. So there was a lot of drama for a while. Then they got, you know, now they're separate businesses, but they're you know, friendly with each other. We're all friendly. And so I'm wondering if, was there any point in time in your journey with your friends could be maybe this company, the, the most recent one where you've had like a really challenging situation, you know, and, and how did you get through it? Like what happened and and how'd you get through it? Well,
1: one of my business partners, um, he used to work for my old company and we fired him. <laughs>
0: You fired him a, from the old he, company. From the old company. Gotcha.
1: And he went on to become a creative director at an ad agency. Yeah. And he wasn't a good fit for the company. It was just like chaos. We tried to make it work, and it was just like getting frustrated. And we fired him. But when we fired him, he was like almost relieved. He's like, "Yeah, it makes sense. Like this is like just not a fit." Hmm. And as for his severance, we said, "Listen, go find a job. We're gonna pay you your salary until you find a job, but just don't." don't dick around, like, go look for work. Yeah. And he felt this sense of relief that he wasn't like, you know, he just had it. He just had kids. He's fired from his work from his best friend, you know? Um, he didn't have to worry about like, he's like, he's like, and he sent me, he ended up getting a job, getting paid more than double what we were paying him anyway. And he sent me this thank you letter saying, you know, when I, you know, it's not easy. To have to like transition like that but you made it as easy as possible you made wow. it you sh- you showed that you still had my back and you've kept the safety net there for me while i went and like can keep a clear head looking for work without me having to worry and and fast forward like many years later i started this company we couldn't i was working with one of my friends and we just couldn't get the brand together like, like there's something missing like we we know Branded,
0: like the branding just the
1: brand like how are we going to position this thing what's the mm, brand name? Gotcha. Like we couldn't come yeah. up with a name just like there just felt like there was something missing in it like we we just didn't have whatever it took to to get there yeah and i thought well, dima like he let's just get him on board i mean this is a non-business this is just an idea right see if he wants to get involved. So we said, look, we want to start this thing. Do you want to help us piece it together? So now there's three of us building this crowdfunding campaign of this thing. And he, he came up with the whole brand identity, the way we talk, like he was the missing piece. Now this is a guy I fired a few years ago. Now he put together the piece that the missing piece of the puzzle of getting wow. this thing to work. And now I work with him as a business partner and it's amazing. It's awesome. Like it's a completely different context. He's built this thing from the ground up. He's taken risks with us. Um, He's, he, he carries it. He's great. It's and, and, and that's, I think, you know, the sign of true like friends. It's that, it's like, even though we fired him he knows it's not because there's nothing personal there. It was just, you, he, he would admit himself he wasn't a good fit for that business. It wasn't a good thing. And that's not, you can't have someone on the team that's not the right person to be on the bus. So, yeah, uh, you know, we fired him. Look at us now. We're working <laughs> together and we're working together. Well,
0: that's great, did you, were you guys like uh, in touch with each other after you fired him or yeah. kind of just reconnected because of the business or. No, we were, we, we were in touch. We would stayed I mean, I, I ta- hung
1: out with him every, once every couple months. He had kids. So it was like, you know, not easy for him to come out too much, mm, but, gotcha. but the friendship was never, never wavered. You mm. know, there was never any bad blood that we didn't need a cool off period. It was like, even again, he, he sent me that thank you letter. Cause he knew like you had my back, man. Like even he fired me, you had my back and, and that means a lot to me. And there was no like apprehension about coming on as a business partner or like partnering with us in this thing, because it, it didn't it, we never had bad blood. There was, he was never afraid. He was excited to try to, you know, to, to go and it was his first business. So he was excited to get it off the ground, see if he can get it off the ground with us. And, and we're, ha- you know, he's loving it right now.
0: That's awesome. That's such a great story. I right. love, I love how things uh, sometimes, you know, like you intersect with somebody, but then you don't know where that intersection is going to come back again in the future. So Yeah, that's that's a great example of that.
1: Yeah, and a good and a good reason to always treat people fairly and to be good. Absolutely, it's it's like we. Don't burn your bridges. I could have legally. I only had to give him, I think, a couple weeks of pay. I could have been like, "Fuck you! You're on your own." Yeah, and I could have (laughs) saved some money, but what would that do? Do Why? Why would I like? In hindsight, I would rather have spent way more money to help someone and to be good, and then you know yeah you never know where the dots will connect in the future and that and and he was happy to w- work with us again it was it was a complete new context now imagine if i uh, if i if i screwed him over and i kicked him out in the dirt he'd never work with us maybe i would never have the business cuz really he he was the missing piece
0: that's fascinating i love those kind of stories mm. well there's not much traveling going on right now but what oh, would you only say only with
1: fake zoom background <laughs>
0: hey you're wherever you want to be hey we can you know we can visualize at least (laughs) until that point uh why do you think travel is so important for people
1: in general
0: yeah in general what's what's Uh, your take on why it's so important in life
1: i mean i live for i live for the experience of perspective you know it's until you go and you try to i mean not only just fun there's something about i can go for uh, a meal here in my city and then come back to my my apartment and go to sleep and, and uh, have a great night out. But when I go for a meal on the other side of the world, there's something different that in in the soul experience. Mm. But I mean, the best part is being able to meet people and to like, try to get a glimpse as to how people think and what people's customs are. And, you know, I go to China a lot, and Mm. I go to the States a lot. And I'll tell you, one of the funniest things is to to get a sense for how little those two countries understand about each other. Hmm. I was afraid of doing business. Like we do manufacturing in China. You know, we do a lot of it here in Canada and we do quite a bit there in China too. And I was very afraid of manufacturing in China. They're going to rip us off. You know, there's going to be kids working in factories and all the stuff that I've been hearing, you know, there's a propaganda machine on the Western world that, teaches you about China and the evils of China that just mm. don't feel true when you're there. And I've gone, I've gone deep in China. I mean, I've been there like six, seven times now I have, I've gone to weddings there. Like I have wow. roots there and I've, it's a wonderful place with wonderful people. But when they talk about the States, like you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Like they, they think it's a completely different thing than it is. It's just these stories. And like, I just find it so funny to, to, to try to get a sense of like, how do people like view each other and, and what is it really like over there? And what's it like to go and eat? And I like doing, you know, in China, one thing I like doing whenever I'm there is I'll get on the subway. We usually stay in Shanghai and I get on the subway and I go in the opposite direction of where the main stops are like the popular spots. yeah And I'll get off at a random station and I walk down the street and I look for a place where there's lots of people eating mm-hmm. and I go and I eat there. And I, you can tell, like it's like so, sometimes it's so confusing. Was, why is there a white guy in here? This has never happened. <laughs> this has never happened, right? And I sort of look and I try to order something that, like, you know, I, and I, I, usually can figure something out. Do you speak any Chinese? Like, do you? I'm starting to speak a little bit of Mandarin, a yeah. tiny bit. Um, I could probably order, go and order some food, you know, but that's very enough. little. That have yeah.
0: the bathroom, and you're good. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so
1: interesting and fun like you know know, i I heard a quote once that said we travel thousands we travel thousands of miles across the world to stare in awe at the person that we ignore in our own backyard Hmm. like it's like i'll see these people they're eating lunch i can go here and see people eating lunch at like uh you grabbing a sandwich at a starbucks i don't give a shit about like i don't care Right. But if I see someone getting like a sandwich in a coffee shop in, like, ooh,
0: like, so exotic. <laughs> yeah,
1: in Hanoi, Vietnam, it's like, what where, where is he going? Is he going to work? Is this right, one, it's right. What's day, the story of like, his life? <laughs> yeah. And you start to like get, you get entangled in these stories and you learn, just like learn about how regular people do regular things. And I find it the most fun and thrilling thing in the world. I miss traveling so much. I love traveling. And I think it's very important. Usually the people that are the most xenophobic and the most closed minded are the people without passports. I think, I think that, you know, we talked about as the education system, failing people, um, the travel system can, can help. I think a lot, I think there's a lot of empathy that can be built when you just see that people over there are good people, just like we are over here with families and good hearts and good intentions. And they just want to live a good life. Yeah. Just like everyone else.
0: Just like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. We all want the same things fundamentally for the most mm-hmm. part. I mean, safety connection with others, having what you want, that kind of thing. How exactly. so do you think travel has changed you? Like in the last, I'd say, you know, what, 10 years, 15 years, how do you think you've changed because of traveling?
1: I think that traveling has become so important to me and so much a part of my character that I, I stopped valuing a lot of f- I started to value the experiences that I get and it could be not just for travel, but just like you started, I started to put my heart into experiences more than things. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a big part of our, we're a material brand like we sell clothing, but we're almost anti-consumerism and anti-material. That's why we're not about the brand, like being visible, things like that because our whole premise is like to create more freedom through simplicity. Mm. That's really what our brands like promises. And, uh, I'm not a materialistic person. I like nice things. If they f- have, like, I, for example, I've spent extra money than most people would on my tea kettle because mm. I really like tea and I want to nice. have a really good tea kettle. Right. But like, I'm not I I didn't buy it because it's bling and I'm trying to like, I'm not sure. Is it an automated
0: one or like a. It has a different,
1: yeah, there's different buttons that have the different temperatures. So I could push green tea at at this degree, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, I, I I just need enough in my life to just get by and have live a, a day the way I like to, but like, I'm not about, Acquiring things or having a nice car or anything—I I think travel has has stamped out any inkling of wanting to uh, to have any like unnecessary material possessions. Because yeah. all, all really, I just want to go out and meet people. That's the yeah. that's the biggest high I get in life is connecting with real people all yeah. over the world, anywhere, even here. And I think it, I think the more you travel, the more it changes what your priorities are.
0: Do you think this new generation with like this is kind of a tangent too, but I think it's related. I mean, now, for example, there, there have these things where you can buy tickets, virtual tickets to a game and yeah. you have your little avatar and you're sitting there for cheaper. You just sit in your house and you're, you're at the stadium and you're watching the game. And I'm like, I really wonder where that, you know, when, when I was considering all this stuff that we're talking about travel, I'm like, I wonder where this is going to go. Like, are we entering an age where, People are not going to travel as much because they can just hop into an Oculus mm-hmm. and, you know, get that experience. You know, eventually you're going to have, let's say the Oculus comes with little things that stimulate your nose and you get a little breeze on your neck and you feel you're at the beach. And it's like, at what point do we, you know, do we, do we not uh, travel anymore? Do we just plug into some system? I mean, what's, I don't know. It seems,
1: it seems like that's coming more and more, doesn't it? Like, yeah, but, but I haven't, I haven't experienced it. Like yeah, I haven't, either. I haven't had a VR experience where, I mean, I think, whoa, this is cool. Like, right. I can't believe how, like, like, I feel like I'm supposed to be touching the counter there, but there's no counter. Like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but um, you're in, you're in Arizona. Have you, have you been to Chicago?
0: Yeah. I'm have you Chicago. been to Wrigley? Um, Wrigley, Wrigley
1: park to see a baseball game?
0: Yes. Yes. I have long time I- ago.
1: Yeah, when I went to Wrigley,
0: I was like, you you feel
1: an energy of history. Yeah, that's unlike most places that you. That's that's like an I,
0: interesting point. Yeah,
1: there's something about being there. Like this is like the way that baseball is depicted in cartoons is based on this place. Like it is so cool, and I'm trying, and, and and you can picture. People walking in this ballpark a hundred years ago. They were there a hundred years ago. And they were watching a ball game. And the, the you know, the jerseys might look a little different, but not that different. Like everything's kind of the same. There's something that's like really, really just cool about being hmm. there. Now we have a ballpark here in Toronto. It's not near as cool. I like, I mean, you can go see a baseball game. It's fine. It's fun to go out and have a couple beers with some friends, and yeah. that's always gonna be fun. But there is nothing like the energy of being in that ballpark. From mm. for, from what I've seen for base as far as baseball goes, when I was in Germany, the last trip I took before COVID, we were in Munich and we saw Bayern, a big football club, and it was like crazy. Wow. Electricity is like for seeing a soccer match in <laughs> in Germany. Electric, and I just can't see that being something you can put on on your helmet, but. Yeah. But the helmet will be something that will take you in places you can't go in real life. And that is probably pretty cool. Like you'll be able to like, you know, go to outer space. Um,
0: be That'll like, be a trip, man. I, I can't wait till space travel becomes like a thing that we, can you imagine just having some drinks on the moon or something and just watching the Earth. I mean, that would just blow me away. Like, that's, Yeah. I would love it. I would love if I could do that on an
1: Oculus tonight. I would that'd be amazing. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Um, there's some cool, so I was thinking, do you know what would be cool? Um, and I I'm surprised that it, it doesn't exist yet, but having a VR helmet where you can buy a ticket to sit center court, courtside at a basketball game or something like that. Mm. And like, you know, the, you know, in Toronto, it's uh Drake is always sitting right there on the court. They right. Have so you, now I think. Do they? Yeah. That's what I was So you can, you can sit on
0: the court and watch the basketball game live. I'm pretty sure that they they film. They have a camera up now. You can buy front row, courtside seats. Okay, that's amazing. That's, and you put that, your VR. Yeah, It was like, man. And that's sell cool. A ton of money that's dude.
1: cool because in that sense, it's like it would be cooler to actually be there, but not. It's not accessible to everyone to sit right, courtside yeah. at a basketball game. Right. Like that's like for some people, uh, a zero in a lifetime opportunity. It won't happen. Right. So if you could spend you know 20 bucks or 50 bucks or something and you can watch like a playoff basketball game and sit next to drake that'd be pretty cool <laughs> i'm not yeah. a big drake fan but i'd sit next to him at the all-star game or something
0: interesting well anything coming up for you that's exciting with uh, the company or i mean obviously there's no traveling going on right now but you know we're in a
1: phase right now where covid i told you we we got slammed at first so we we started to get a lot smarter with how we're running everything in the company. And um, just, w- I think that we're working the best that we've ever worked where our ideas are great. We're executing. Um, we're about to go into what is typically the biggest season of the year. You yeah. Know, from, from black Friday, right through the hall to the holidays. Um, this is like a big time, but it's going to, I'm, I'm, interested in what is going to be different because covet's surely going to impact it um i'm so curious to see is it going to be a great season just like it normally is is it going to be a lot worse Is it going to suffer Are covet law is going to disrupt people's christmas time hmm. you know and are, is christmas going to be you know a virtual for a lot of people this year <laughs> oh and things? you know, oh, so terrible. So it's going to be interesting. I'm very curious to see what this COVID years holiday season is going to be. And yeah. I read, I've read quite a few articles about it and none of them are consistent. Yeah. Some people say it's going to be unaffected. Some say it's going to be grossly affected. Um, boom time will tell. So we're just preparing for that and trying to do our best into the holiday season. And I want to, Put a pretty bow on the end of this crazy year.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Definitely, I uh, the craziest year for any. I, I mean, we all I agree. Think
0: anybody? Yeah,
1: we there's people don't agree on anything, but I think we all agree. Twenty twenties, freaking nuts.
0: It definitely bent everybody over. I mean, I don't think you were getting out of this year without any major it's all over, life yeah. lessons.
1: <laughs> you guys have your election next week. I know. It's I feel like I, feel like I feel like everything was just an appetizer for what's about to happen. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. No matter what happens in your country, it's going to be a, It's going to be insane.
0: It's going to be insane for sure.
1: And uh, that leads into uh, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, holidays. So in the world of e-commerce, it's uh, it's going to be interesting too. Um, who knows, man? I don't know. I'm excited <laughs> to see how the rest of it plays out. I just want to yeah. go to the beach that's in your zoom background, you
0: know, me too. Um, I can't wait. That's my, that's my goal. I haven't even been to Hawaii yet, man. That's my parents have been like so many times. I've just never had a, I mean, I'm usually working or doing other. Yeah. You're not now. that far from Hawaii. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not too far. I mean, yeah. it's just like what a five, six hour ride or something plane ride. Yeah. So. Yeah. One day it'll be good. I want to go to Thailand though. Thailand. Yes. I, I would love to go to Thailand. Do
1: you know what's cool about Thailand is you go there everything is so unbelievably beautiful yeah everything feels so like it's like if you're in paradise everywhere you go all the food is insanely amazing yeah but your money goes so far you know what I mean like you're gonna spend five bucks you're gonna eat the best meal ever that's awesome (laughs) and that's like you go to New York you're gonna spend five bucks you'll get a good slice of pizza but that's it
0: cider fries that's pretty much it
1: Maybe Maybe not for five bucks At that point But uh yeah, um, It's crazy But yeah You go to Southeast Asia Your money goes so far It's thing like I swear Like I was thinking I'm like Why did I just take off During COVID I could have spent Seven months In Southeast Asia Would have been I could have been Saving tons of money
0: Yeah I mean I don't know what the laws There with COVID were I don't know if they went crazy Or not In like Thailand Or uh, Just get a villa On the beach And with yeah. us Wi-Fi And <laughs> Yeah that's true That's what Tim Fer- I mean that's what Tim Ferriss is doing I don't know if he still Lives in Thailand but I, I remember when he Wrote in... the four hour Work week yeah. he was He was living there Yeah uh, Well last question For you buddy What are you most Grateful for today My health Yeah
1: I think I I think about What I'm grateful For every day I write it a little Down in the morning A little cheesy But I do And I, that's that comes awesome. Up, it comes up a lot Um because when you're sick or when there's something wrong nothing else matters right so it's like i could figure everything else out so i I feel healthy i feel energetic uh i feel pet i feel happy um there's nothing more i could ask for everything else is just icing on cake i guess yeah
0: 100 percent, man i'm grateful
1: for this call and this time with you man
0: yeah this was fun a lot of fun yeah Makes me want to travel now, damn it. Now in this yeah. nowhere, <laughs> I don't even want to jump on a plane right now. It's too you crazy. Get,
1: get an Oculus helmet. You'll be good. Yeah,
0: I'll just get an Oculus. That'll be good. Yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview, guys. I hope it's inspired you to see some new areas of opportunity in your life, uh, to take action on the things you're passionate about, You know, maybe if it's starting a business, a side hustle, whatever it is, bringing a nonprofit project to life, whatever it is that really inspires you to make a difference and to act on your purpose, there's always a way to do it these days. It's easier than ever to find support for your idea, uh, to start a business. We know we live in a golden age of creation. Don't waste it. If you want to get a little more info about Dan or Unbound Merino, just check out unboundmerino.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you share with anybody that wants to hear a little bit more about business or crowdfunding or starting anything that we talked about today. And don't forget our amazing quote from the beginning by Coco Chanel. Success is often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. You know, whether you succeed or fail is whether you believe you will succeed or fail. And in the end, it doesn't really matter anyway, because it's always a learning process. Whether you succeed or fail, the key is to maintain progress and to maintain the practice to maintain your wisdom your knowledge your your new vision everything that's happening to you whether it's good or bad it's just there to feed into a constantly evolving practice and vision and when you get that you know success success or failure doesn't really matter as much don't let life change or convince you that things are impossible keep going remember the only limiting factor is your mind Thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your day. Tune in on Tuesday for a little more talk on business. We're going to be looking at Eight Rules for Great Business by Sean Kestrina. is a top entrepreneur and author. Really excited to have him on the show. Pick his brain. A little more chatting about business and entrepreneurship. So if this is your thing, you know, definitely tune in. We're going to be getting some great golden nuggets next week. And until then, don't forget your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.